Our scripture reading this morning comes from Isaiah chapter 40, verses 27 through 31. Why do you say, O Jacob, and speak, O Israel, my way is hidden from the Lord, and my right hand is disregarded by my God? Have you not known? Have you not heard? The Lord is the everlasting God, the creator of the ends of the earth. He does not faint or grow weary. His understanding is unsearchable. He gives power to the faint, and to him who has no might, he increases strength. Even youth shall faint and be weary, and young men shall fall exhausted. But they who wait for the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up on wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not be faint. Well, good morning, church. We'll be looking at that passage in a moment, so keep that open as we'll be looking at mainly those verses that were just read for us. There was this little boy who was by himself in his backyard wearing his baseball cap and with a bat in one hand and a baseball in the other. He shouted, I am the greatest hitter in the world. Then he tossed the ball into the air and he swung at it and missed strike one. Undaunted, he picked up the ball and he announced again, I am the greatest hitter in the world. And he tossed the ball back up into the air and as it came down, he swung at it and missed it again. Strike two, he yelled. The boy paused a moment. He looked at his bat and he looked at his ball carefully. He spit on his hands and he rubbed them together. He straightened his cap on his head and he announced once more, I am the greatest hitter in the world. And again, he tossed the ball back up in the air and he swung at it. And again, he missed. Strike three, he yelled. He paused for a moment. He looked at the ball on the ground and he exclaimed, Wow, I'm the greatest pitcher in the world. (laughs) Right? Perspective. Perspective. There are those circumstances in life that may look like strikeouts, but things aren't always as they seem. Do you need a little perspective this morning? Do you need a little perspective uh, as of late? Could you use a, a, a different way of looking at things? Well, that introduces us to Isaiah chapter 40. Isaiah chapter 40, it's one of the more beloved and well-known chapters in Isaiah, particularly the final verses as was just read for us. And so if you're not there, I invite you to turn in your Bibles, look on your phone, whatever you use to look at this chapter, Isaiah chapter 40. We continue in our study in the book of Isaiah and on the theme of why are we here? Why are we here? And the people of God had forgotten why they were here existing and what their purpose was to be the light to the Gentile nations. It was a big swing and a miss. There was such a spiritual decline that it was difficult to differentiate between the people of God and the surrounding pagan nations. 
And the northern ten tribes of Israel were overtaken by the Assyrians because of gross immorality and gross idolatry. And the Assyrians were breathing down the necks of the two southern tribes of Judah. But by God's grace, the southern two tribes narrowly escaped Assyria's conquest. That should have been a wake-up call for them. It should have been a wake-up call. But instead, they turned to idols rather than God. They persisted in their disobedience. And God, even knowing that, that the people would forsake him, promises to deliver them, as we have it here in our passage this morning. You see, God's faithfulness does not end at the point of disobedience. God's faithfulness does not end at the point of disobedience. That's a good thing for them. And it's a good thing for us. It's in chapter 40 that sets the tone for really for the next 27 chapters. It is this chapter that the theme of God's faithfulness and grace, the message of hope and redemption rather than destruction, would provide encouragement in bleak times. And that is why out of the gates we find these words. Look with me now at Isaiah chapter 40 verse 1. Isaiah chapter 40 verse 1. Comfort, comfort my people, says your God. Now, likely, they would have read these words while in exile, perhaps even while they began their long journey home. And what did the people need? Well, Isaiah is called to comfort, comfort my people. He continues, verse 2, speak tenderly to Jerusalem. Proclaim to her that her hard service has been completed, that her sin has been paid for, that she has received from the Lord's hand double for all her sins. In other words, there is an end to God's discipline. There's no need for Isaiah to keep driving home their failures. They don't need to be reminded of their sins. They don't need an I told you so from the prophets. Because the question on the mind of one who has fallen and feels the brunt of the consequences, the question on their mind is, is there a way back? Can I get up and continue on my journey when I've fallen on the track? Well, the people of God have been wearied in sorrow. They have suffered much. It says paid double for their sins. And so double the comfort. Comfort, comfort my people. And that's what this chapter is all about. It really is a word for the weary. Do you know the feeling of weariness? I mean, are you, are you headed to, you kind of just get worn out? Are you painfully aware of your sins against the Lord? Have you, have you hit bottom? Have you fallen? Has it been a swing and a miss, strike three, you're out? Picture this morning. That God, through the prophet Isaiah, comes to you and he puts his arm around you. And like the people Isaiah is writing to, whatever it is for you, it's not the end of your story. There's another chapter to be written. There's a word to weary travelers. Because God's faithfulness does not end at the point of disobedience. And I hope and I trust by the end of our time uh, this morning, you have gained a little better perspective 
And so for that, we look at what was read for us the last five verses of chapter 40, uh, falling under the headings that that I have here, the, the complaint God heard, the character of God revealed, and the comfort God provides. So first, let's look at the complaints. Let's look at the complaints. And for that, we look at verse 27. Why do you say, O Jacob? Why do you complain, O Israel? Have you ever complained this way? My way is hidden from the Lord. My cause is disregarded by my God. He's not hearing me. He's forgotten me. Now, whether this complaint was out loud, out loud or not, God heard. But likely, they were complaining to one another. It seems to be a group, a sport here going on of complaining. And you see, complaining is contagious, is it not? We, we start to pull each other down through our complaining. In our misery, we want others to comply to our complaints. A man came home one day. and Immediately, as he walked through the door, his wife started complaining which led him to do his own complaining, which led they go back and forth, and they had an intense argument for one whole hour. They arrived at 6.30 in the evening, and at 7.30, they still hadn't made things right. Nothing worked. And finally, the husband said, you know, let's start over. Let's pretend I'm just getting home. <laughs> let's do a redo. So he stepped outside, and when he opened the door, she said, it's 7.30, and you're now just getting home? (laughs) Well, she still found something to gripe about. It really takes very little effort to complain. It really does. And notice who God's addressing here, not unbelievers, not the pagan nations. This is covenant language here. Oh, Jacob, oh, Israel. My God is disregarded by my God. God is addressing the complaining of those who know him who should know better. And their complaint, uh, by the way, isn't just this one-time thing in a moment of weakness and despair. The sense of the words here is continuous. They kept complaining. They kept saying, my way, meaning my lot in life, is hidden from the Lord's. Over and over they were saying that. I'm, I'm, I'm off God's radar right now. I'm out of his sight. God does not see or care what I'm going through. Ever thought that way? Ever felt unnoticed and disregarded by God? And do you feel that life just isn't being fair to you right now? Maybe, maybe you're stuck in this little pity party. What's your complaint? And we might argue, you know, my complaining, it's not directed at God. It's, not direct, it's on these other things, it's not directed at God. Are you sure about that? Check it out. Test this. Is your complaint really just another way of saying that God doesn't know what I'm going through? That, that God is, is overlooking me? That God's not really that concerned? Now, let me just say this. Taking your complaint to God isn't necessarily wrong. We see that throughout the Psalms. Taking your complaint to God isn't necessarily wrong. He, he welcomes us to let him tell, to, for us to tell him how we feel. That's okay. But when it comes, when, 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 it, when it accuses God of doing wrong, we've crossed the line. And that's what's going on here. They're blaming God. And human tendency is to blame God. 
And they're crying out in their captivity. Why are we here? Why are we here in exile? Well, why were they here? Why were they there? I mean, is God really to be blamed? Scripture informs us that while his people continued in disobedience, God kept calling out to his people. You can check it out in 2 Chronicles 36. It will be on your screen. It says, The Lord, the God of their fathers, sent word to Judah through his messages, through his prophets. It says he rise up early to do this. In other words, he would do it again and again and again. He'd warn them. He'd tell them, this is what's going to happen. Because he had pity on his people. And how did the people respond to God's grace reaching out to them? Well, the very next verse in that same passage, 2 Chronicles 36 It says, but they mocked God's messengers. They despised his words. They scoffed at his prophets until the wrath of the Lord was aroused against his people. Now catch this. And there was no remedy. Sad, sad words. Rejecting God's offer. Ignoring his warning. Resisting his work of grace in you can indeed have serious consequences. For Judah, that meant 70 years in captivity in Babylon, away from their homeland. Why are we here in this awful place? They might cry out, only they are to blame. But God wasn't going to leave them there. God had already laid out the plan for their return. We kind of start seeing it here in Isaiah chapter 40. This was being made known to the the people of God before they were even taken away. But their eyes were on the difficult times. They needed some perspective. Now, none of us, none of us have lived an easy life. We have our own challenges. We, We face difficulty. None of us get a free pass on suffering. We face enormous challenges. But listen, rather than focus on the why... We need to focus on the who. Rather than focus on the why, we need to focus on the who. And that's where Isaiah goes next. Next heading this this morning is the character of God. The character of God. Look with me at verse 28. He says, do you not know? Have you not heard? These are rhetorical questions calling for a yes answer. You see, the problem wasn't their lack of knowledge. They didn't just need more information. I mean, let's face it, most of the time, we we don't need more information, more knowledge on the situation. We just need to go back to what we already know. These are things they should know. These are things they've heard. What did they know in here? Middle of verse 28, the Lord is the everlasting God, the creator of the ends of the earth. He will not go tired or weary, and his understanding no one can fathom. You see, when, when we're feeling overwhelmed by our circumstances, when, when the troubles seem just too much to bear, when life is, is getting the best of us, the, the way through it is not to keep our focus on why this is happening. It's okay to go there and, and do some exploring there, but, but our focus can't stay there with why this is happening, but get our eyes on who? On the Lord. Now, I want us to notice at least four things it says of God's character here in this one verse. First of all, it says, he is the Lord. The Lord. Now, in most translations, you would see that Lord, that word Lord, are all in caps. Now, that doesn't mean that Isaiah is yelling Lord like we do with, with our text. That's not what he's saying. But when it's all caps, it's translating the name for God. Yahweh, 
Jehovah. And we kind of just simply slide over that word, the, the, the word Lord. But it jumped out for the people reading this. Do you not know people? Have you not heard God's covenant people? Yahweh, the self-existing God, is your God. That's what he's saying. Saying that this, this God here, he isn't dependent on anyone or anything. He is autonomous. He isn't hemmed in by the worst of circumstances. He isn't swayed one bit by the choices of others, even evil people. He's the Lord, the only true God, set apart from all other gods. He's in a league by himself, the Lord. Secondly, we see here the words, the everlasting God. That he never diminishes. He's the same forever. He's alive. He's timeless. Now maybe you need to be reminded of that this morning. That God is not confined to time and certainly to your, to your timetable. We may panic when things aren't coming together as we think they should. God is unhurried. He is equally present to all points of time at once. Thirdly, we see that God is the creator of the ends of the earth. He's the powerful, omnipotent God who has spoken everything into being. Go back with me and look at verse 26 in the same chapter. Verse 26. Lift your eyes and look to the heavens. Who created all these? He who brings out the starry hosts one by one and calls them each by name because of his great power and mighty strength, not one of them is missing. I don't know about you, but my mind just goes, it blows my mind when I read that verse. Because as we consider the solar system inside the galaxy called the Milky Way, which is something like 104,000 light years across, someone said containing over 100 billion stars. Now, by the way, if you could even count those stars one by one, it would take you 3,000 years. God brings them out by number every single night. He calls each one of them by name, which is just another way of saying he has power over them. And not one of them is missing. I mean, would you even notice if one of them was missing? (laughs) Not one of them is missing. Now, do you think God will ever lose track of you? I mean, when you feel overwhelmed by your problems, do you, do you think he just might be big enough and strong enough to manage them for you? When you feel threatened by world events, do you think the God who has the power over the entire universe is nervously pacing back and forth wondering what to do next? Do you not know, church? Have you not heard living hope? The self-existent God who is not trapped in time as we are, who is not short on power, knows what you are going through. Behold your God. See your God. See, at some point, while I say the why is okay to go there, but at some point, at some point, you must release the why to God and focus on the who. Have we forgotten who God is? Sometimes 
I go about my day and my week and my thoughts and my actions. It looks like I might have forgotten who God is. Oh, there's one more thing about God here. God's arms never get tired of holding you up. (laughs) He never gets tired of holding you up. This God does not become weary or tired of caring for his people. He never wearies in doing good. Isn't it amazing? I mean, if you ever have the thought, God must be so tired of me. I go, he, he coming to him with the same thing over and over again. Oh, he's, he's tired of me. He must be tired of carrying me because of my blunders and, and my sins and all my whining. <laughs> In those moments, let these words wash over you for God says, I don't grow tired of you. I, I never grow weary. I'm reminded of, of a four-year-old a true story, I, I know the family. Reminded of the four-year-old who on, on Sunday afternoon, after hearing the congregation sing the song, he is exalted, the king is exalted on high, he was walking around the house singing, he is exhausted, the king is exhausted on high. <laughs> to a four-year-old, that's what it sounded like. We're mumbling the words, we're passing on bad theology. Now, contrary to what this four-year-old thought at that moment, God never becomes exhausted. His tank never runs out of gas. His strength has no limits. His understanding, it says, we cannot fathom. That means he's never stumped, baffled, or confused. We can never say, you know, I know there's a lot of stuff that God knows, but he doesn't know the complexity of my situation. I mean, it's a mess. Oh, no, 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 he knows. We cannot know how much understanding he has of our need. You see, every demand upon your life, every challenge you face is really a demand on the power of God. We don't need to know the why, but the who. Because everything that matters in life hangs on who God is. Everything. All right, let's look at the comfort here. As we come to verse 29 now, Keep in mind, this is written to people who were forcibly removed from their homes. They were taken hundreds of miles away into a foreign land. And they spent 70 years, 70 years in a place they hated and where their captors humiliated them at every turn. And Psalm 137, check out Psalm 137 this week. But it tells us during that time that they had hung up their harps. What do they mean? We, we don't, we've lost our song. You know what it's like to lose your song? I can't even sing right now. My heart's so broken. 70 years is a long time. Undoubtedly, they were weary and worn out. And Isaiah was given the clear message from God back in verse 1, comfort, comfort my people. And he offers this word of comfort to weary discouraged, weak people. When you're weary, feeling small. You knew this was coming. When tears are in your eyes, I will dry them all. When you're down and out, when evening falls so hard, I will comfort you. Who will? Verse 29. He gives strength to the weary. He increases the power of the weak. So whenever, whatever way you may feel tired and weary, God is a word for you. To those who feel defeated, God gives mental strength. 
To those who have been wounded and hurt, God gives emotional strength. To those who are doubting, he gives spiritual strength. Because God promises to provide the strength to do what he wants you to do. I needed to hear that. So let me say it again. God will provide the strength to do what he wants you to do. Now notice I'm saying what he wants you to do. We should not presume on God to provide us with strength to do all the things we want to do that are not of him. I cannot fill my life with self-made plans, personal agendas, and then claim I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Wrong. But if if, if your weariness is of your own doing, be careful about clinging to that promise. God's word to you might be to better prioritize your life and seek first his kingdom and his righteousness. But listen, has God called you to do it? This might sound trite, but it is truth. Has God called you to do it? He will provide the strength for you to do it. It says. You say, but pastor, the the, the road's long. I'm not sure I can continue. But pastor, I am absolutely wiped. I've got nothing left. Pastor, been there, done that. Well, God welcomes the weary. Gordon MacDonald, pastor and writer Gordon MacDonald, he tells of a childhood memory of traveling on dark Canadian road on vacation. As he looks back as being a a kid and sitting in the back seat, he he says, "I, I remember how tired and frustrated all of us were, having traveled too far to turn back, yet not knowing whether we had enough fuel or energy to keep moving forward. He said, just then, as the tiredness was really settling in, I suddenly saw a light on the horizon. My father continued to drive in the direction of the lights. The closer we got, the brighter the light, and then we see it. The light illuminates a sign which says, weary travelers welcome vacancy. Weary travelers welcome vacancy. Relief had been found. Weary travelers, welcome. Now, I don't know about you, but I think those would be appropriate words on a church sign. Weary travelers, welcome. When discouraged, when weary, when undertaking is pushing us to the limits, what do we need? We need a place, we need a God who says, I welcome that. Listen to these last two verses that have been cross-stitched, framed, and hung on the walls of our homes. All right, verse 30. Even youths grow tired and weary, and young men stumble and fall. But those who hope in the Lord will really better wait upon the Lord, will renew their strength. They will soar on wings like eagles. They will run and not grow weary. They will walk and not be faint. Now, the words there, youth, and the words young men, and the original are placed at the beginning of the sentence for emphasis. It's in the emphatic position and the sentence in the Hebrew. In other words, Isaiah wants to put on display the ones we think of as never running out of energy. Teams choose young players to fill their roster. Those we, we choose to compete in the Olympics are those who are the fittest, the strongest, the youngest, the youth. And so what this is saying here is even the most vital, the most vigorous, the one who feels invincible will at some point grow weary. 
It's been said, one thing about being young is that you're not experienced enough to know you cannot possibly do the things you're doing. <laughs> I, like, I like that. But, but you see, their energy is not endless. Even the Energizer Bunny needs his batteries replaced. It's been said, you're as young as you feel after trying to prove it, right? And some of us try to prove it, and we go, oh, I'm exhausted. See, the problem we all encounter is we run out of strength at some point. Life takes its toll on all of us eventually. On the journey, we all get weary at one time or another. There's Samuel Butler who said, life is one long process of getting tired. Someone quipped, if I had my life to live all over again, I wouldn't have the strength. You know the feeling. All of us find this road called life wearisome at different times. Even youths do. And now Isaiah here is setting up a contrast for us. In verse 30, you'll notice, are those who are considered to have the most strength and energy. And then we have the word, but, the beginning of verse 31, but those who wait upon the Lord are the ones who will experience the supernatural strength that goes beyond what they're capable of. But I want you to notice that not all people will experience what he's describing in verse 31. Only those who wait upon the Lord. God's promise of strength is for those who wait upon him. The only condition for receiving this divine strength is waiting on the Lord. Now, waiting means to move the weight of your trust off yourself and consciously reorient on God. It means we, 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 we take the load off our own shoulders and we place it on God. I don't know about you, I have to do that a lot during the day. And when I do it, I feel it. And those who wait upon the Lord, it says, what will we discover? Renewed strength for the journey. Now literally, those words there, renew their strength, is really our strength will be changed. The word picture here is of exchange. It's to replace our worn out strength with new strength, divine strength. The word to his weary people who feel they cannot keep going is that they will renew their strength. We'll exchange your worn out strength and I'll give you new strength. And there's an endless supply of new strength that God can give us. But there's an exchange. I need to offload this. And the problem is, the problem is, is we're trying to live the Christian life and we're trying to handle all problems of life on our own. I can handle it. I got this. I can do it. And God has to come along and break us to that place where we call on him for help. There was this, there was this TV ad. I, I think it was Lowe's. It shows a proud do-it-yourselfer installing a new ceiling fan in his family's living room. And after he proudly gives the fan one last turn, he climbs off the ladder, he steps aside to turn on the switch. And after he turns on the switch, he stands with his hands on his hips, satisfied with his brilliant money-saving work. And within a second of the first rotation of the blades, the central motor sparks and the entire fan crashes to the floor, crushing a small table on its way down. And if I install it, that's what's going to happen. My wife laughed at that. She knows the truth. 
Now the scene then cuts to the outdoors. And what happens next is this guy takes this ceiling fan and he heaves it through the picture window and goes out into the backyard. The words then flash on the screen. Need help? (laughs) Need help. Is it time to admit that you need help? Is it time to stop trying to live the Christian life on your own? Is it time to exchange what you can do in your own strength with what God can do when He takes over? You'll know it, that He's doing it, when you're doing better than just surviving in this life, but you're soaring on wings like eagles. Now do some your own homework this week and just look up eagles and how they fly and all the, all, the, all the stuff that's there. It's a beautiful picture, really, that we can thrive and soar even in the storms. Imagine how you might soar, how you might thrive rather than simply survive as you exchange your strength for his. Imagine you're continuing to run, as he talks about here, when you may feel like sitting down and just quitting. Imagine your daily walk, as he speaks here at the end of verse 31, that you you, you walk on this journey living in his power rather than your own power. Safe to say that some of you right now in this room are on the verge of quitting. You may be determined to live for Jesus in your marriage, but you're undergoing a lot of turbulence right now. You may be determined to live for the Lord at work, but you're so outnumbered. You may desire to go all out for Him, but the heat is on and you're wondering if it is worth it. See, at one time or another, giving up is exactly what we're all tempted to do, especially when we're just tired of this daily, constant battle. I can't do it another day. Have you gone through some difficult times lately? Have you shed a few tears? Have you had your share of heartache and headache? Can you see only the trees and not the forest right now? Is your marriage hanging by the proverbial thread? Does parenting indifferent children seem impossible? Does resolving that relational conflict look look bleak? Does that healing and mature, the road to healing and maturity seem too long? Need help? Listen, God has more strength and you've got problems. As we wait on the Lord, He enables us to not only fly higher and run faster, but also to walk longer. There is hope for tired Christians. You're worn out? Not sure you can keep doing what's required of you right now? Running out of steam? God's word to you today is exchange your strength for his. That means that we need to look up. We need to look up from all our problems and see God. From the why to the who. Otherwise, we're stuck in this place of griping and complaining. There was a group of pioneers on the Oregon Trail. They suffered for weeks from scarcity of water and food for themselves and, and water and food for their animals. 
Most of their wagons had broken down, causing endless delays in the stifling heat, and there was a feeling of weariness and fretfulness and futility prevailed. One night, the leaders called a meeting to, to air their complaints. Let's sit around this campfire and let's just air all our complaints that we have. And as they gathered around the campfire ready to air their complaints, one man stood up and said, you know what? Before we begin our gripe session, let's first thank God. Let's thank God for who he is. Let's thank God that he's brought us this far with no loss of life, with no serious trouble from the Indians. Let's first thank God that he's given us enough strength to finish our journey. All the others agreed. And so they went around, and they thanked God for several minutes. They said, all right, now it's time to air your complaints. And you know what? There was dead silence around the campfire. No one had any gripes they felt were important enough to voice. They suddenly realized they couldn't be satisfied with what they had received. They could at least be thankful for what they had escaped. It's a matter of perspective, folks. Focus on the why or focus on the who. Let's pray. God, we do call on you to give us the strength we need, especially in those times in which we're waiting and we're waiting and we're waiting and we're not seeing anything happening. And as we're about to sing, as we close out our time here this morning, you are even working in our waiting. You're sanctifying us. You're causing us to trust you more and offload the trust of us on ourselves. God, may that be our desire this morning as we sing this, as we just read these words. May we offload our weariness to you and find supernatural strength and power to continue on in the journey for your glory and in Jesus' name, amen.